Okay, it's another three-point range. This is number 15 for you. And uh, we have uh, plenty of NFL talk again uh, because it's that time of year. One more game left in the NFL season, and I believe I'm Mike Bar I know I'm Mike Berardino, along with Tim Crothers and the man who will lead us off, Kimball Crossley. Wow. Well, I have to talk about that football game yesterday, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. There were so many parts to it and so many points to be made from it. In fact, there were so many points. Well, there were so many points we made throughout this 14-season podcast so far mm -hmm. that came up in that game that, that, that I think the real winner of that game was this podcast. Wow. You know, and, and I just want to say, like, Particularly me, but yeah, yeah go yeah. ahead. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna give you some credit, but mm -hmm. you know, I think the biggest one was uh, we talk a lot about pass interference, which I brought up, which, and you've timed it on very well as well. Oh my God, like how big is that? Like the inconsistency with which we call pass interference, as you said, those serial cheaters, and there's so many things. I just wanna wanna talk about some of them here. That it was just amazing that there was a point in that game that I would have been like Chris Farley, that Chris Farley character and been like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but really because of so many things we talked about and, and the rules and the, the little weird crap that goes on the NFL, I really felt quite deflated afterwards. I felt it was like, you know, that game is very tainted in my mind for so many reasons. And, and one of the big ones is, you know, I, one of my least favorite things is when when people say like let them play, let them play. What let them play to me means let them cheat, mm -hmm. <laughs> let them cheat until we don't want them to cheat. Let them play. Well, well, not that. Don't let them play that across <laughs> my team. <laughs> so so we watched pivotal play after pivotal play in this game, be be altered by pass interference or not calling it holding penalties. I mean the Packers. I, I could understand their frustration. It's like, oh, you mean he was holding his jersey just like the other guy was on that key interception earlier in the game or that other time? And it's it's monumental. It makes such a difference. And it's so funny how that, that little grab and, and pull that they let him get away with it just alters 10, 20, 30, 40-yard plays possession and ultimately that game. And I thought, no, there's – if there's any justice in the world, we all know that was pass interference. <laughs> you can clearly see him holding his jersey, but couldn't you earlier? And it's just like, no. And I just thought the refs would be like, okay, this is on us. We screwed up this many, many times. <laughs> we, we can't call this one because that's the ball game if we call it. And there's no compromise to it. It's the ball game. And it goes back to where we talked about, like it's pass interference is such a huge call. You know, you don't even talk about that the Brady toss uh, to Godwin, you know, where they got like a forty-yard bomb. That was offensive pass interference. No, you know, no one even talked about how he went over the defensive back who was in much better position. That was a bad ball by Brady, and instead, it's a fifty-yard gain instead of, you know, a, a key interception or worse incompletion and a, and a punt and leads to a touchdown. So there were those, and we can't not talk about the decision we've talked about going forward on fourth down before. And, and, you know, a lot's been said about that, but, but, you know, it really was crazy when, when you think of all the elements 
that were involved. And and I guess the one saving grace that I haven't heard talked about a lot is that, you know, he was thinking, no, I want to win, not just tie. And with all the talk about you got to get the touchdown, the extra point, the two-point conversion, you're still just tied. And he might be thinking, well, our defense is playing well, whatever. But so many little things went into that. And time management, Tim Crothers, good for you. You know, the, the whole idea of like, well, we still had four, three timeouts and the two-minute warning. You probably didn't have the two-minute warning. And I'll give some credit because the only reason you got the dang two-minute warning was because the awful decision, bad clock managing, to to the the um, Tampa Bay guy recovering the kickoff to go down. The right. one thing you can't do is he went down and it was so glossed over. It's like mm-hmm. you if you run one more second, two more seconds and go down – at the two-minute warning, guess what? You took the two-minute warning away from them because there's a clock stoppage after the kickoff anyway. Right. And then he goes down and thought, oh, my gosh, that was monumental. That was terrible clock management. And I will also give some credit to Mike Berardino. Really? One of so his did, points, did somebody die? Should yeah, I listen? No, it, it was a point. And, and this, this, <laughs> yes, this, they did. this, this uh, creature might, in fact, be dead. But I'm telling you, Green Bay wins that game if they have Gus, the kicking mule. Oh, yeah, sure. Because no one talks about how bad their kickoffs were. Green Bay apparently is the only team in the NFL that doesn't have a kicker that can just kick it out of the end zone every time he wants and we give him a touchback. Because that's all I was thinking is like 202, kick it out of the end zone. Then you you have a free timeout because they got to run a play at 202. And then it's a two second play. <laughs> but they don't have the kicking mule. And it was like four other kickoffs. That they the Tampa Bay got great field position, which was huge. Half the distance came up. It was a little weird, but half the distance came up on that personal foul. Now it was funny because they got a first down anyway, but it makes me think, how big is that hit to the head and that 15-yard penalty if it doesn't mean anything? You get a free shot. Like, hey, they're at the one. I'll give them half the distance. And meanwhile, I can take this guy out with the hit to the head. Um you know, and that was just nothing that came up. We we've never talked about the on-purpose encroachment. That was brilliant. It I love was that. brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it but they was, could have declined it. Yes. And they didn't. And they yes. should why, have. They why should have declined it? Why, yes. why? Why didn't they decline it? So just 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 so many things there. It was it was great theater. But ultimately, if they would just have listened to three-point range throughout <laughs> the season and made some changes. That game would have been a classic and not a classic disappointment. Boys? Oh, well, um, after that session, you, you know, you can pay on your way out and we'll see you in a week. Um, <laughs> exactly. Wow. Uh, did you take notes watching that game or is that all just stuff that just lodged in your brain it, and now it you feel better? out of me after the game. I wrote down some notes afterwards because that game was yeah. just a lot, a lot to it. A lot to yeah. it. So many ways you can go with it. One of the things that popped into my mind is, you know, like you say, so many of these calls can go either way. So many 50-50 calls and, and significant calls, game-changing, legend, uh, legacy-changing calls. And at some point, you have to ask, has the game simply become too fast, played by men who are too big and strong, uh, and the eye, the human eye, uh, certainly of a 50- to 60-year-old man running and sometimes woman running up and down the field, can they keep up? Can humans keep up with that game or... I don't want to see more replay for sure, but maybe the whole thing needs to be uh, just uh, officiated from a, a place uh, in Secaucus. 
I don't know. I, I don't think that the human eye, even if you're two feet away, maybe it's a disadvantage to be two feet away from two guys who are hand fighting, et cetera, to try to call it. Maybe it needs to just be uh, somebody watching every aspect, every five yards of the field. I don't know, because it does seem like it's an impossible task. It gets harder all the time, especially in that game. If you've ever stood on the sideline, even at a high school game, they play at a high high rate of speed. You stay, stand on the uh, sideline at a college game, even more so, the, the physicality, the violence. But you go to the pro level, and now those guys turn themselves into human missiles. They are all you know, just – the game is just a blur. So and, and so if a coach many, many times very honestly has to say afterwards, I'll have to watch the tape, it's incredible to me that these guys are largely guessing on so many of these, do I throw the flag or not? And then it leads to what happened to Kimball here in this session. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, if I had to address everything that Kimball just brought up, we'd be here till Thursday. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to isolate down to the, to the one play that, that we all remember. And that is the, the, the jersey-grabbing play that really was the, the, the play that finally decided it. And it just it does get, get me back. I mean, basically, we've compelled people now to, to not just listen to this, this podcast, but the first 14 as well, if they want to understand what it is that Kimball was ranting about. But, but the bottom line is that I just love the juxtaposition of, of the, the guy grabbing the guy's shirt shirt tail not only did he grab it pulled it out but then he actually if you watch it closely he transferred the grabbing of the shirt tail from his left hand to his right hand (laughs) it was just like i mean i've said it before on this podcast and i'll say it again the biggest cheaters in in uh, all of sports are defensive backs and this incredulous attitude that they seem to have about the fact that what they do is somehow should be allowed, is somehow okay, and that whenever they are called for it and it's not nearly enough, that that they're somehow being being singled out as as being how could you possibly call that call that on me? And then to see Matt Lafleur jumping jumping on the sideline in in rage over the idea that this this penalty was called. I mean, really, coach, really. Is there, is there some, can you really look at that play and say that that is not a penalty? I mean, yes, I think part of the outrage comes from the fact that, that Ty Johnson, the receiver, thoroughly oversold it uh, by, you know, leaping at the ball when it was going over his head. Uh, and I think that's where, that's where some of the, some of this is, is coming from. But I, I mean, we've just got to get back to the bottom line of what we've talked about before and that the, the only way to keep this silliness from continuing is to make it clear to defensive backs that you can't hold the guy, the guy's shirt or his jersey or whatever as he's going down the field for for ten seconds and then not expect it to be called. And I agree with Kimball that there are certainly instances where the often offensive player is guilty, and that play and that is that is never called and should be. But uh, the only way we're going to fix this is if 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 the rules are laid out and enforced clearly for both sides, and then maybe we can actually have a clean game. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, talking about replay, and I'm not a big replay advocate because I do think it is a game we we watch and and it is entertainment. And, you know, watching college basketball when there's a deflection out of bounds and then the whole game stops for like four minutes, it's just a fraud. But, but, you know, one of the reasons is because they try and let the, the officials 
you know, see it for themselves. When, yeah, the eye in the sky should just be like buzzed down like, no, no, boys, no. <laughs> like, that's uh-huh. not what happened. I saw it clearly. And and as a lot of people have advocated, and we've talked about it in the show, like, it's so arbitrary what replay you can challenge and what you can't in the NFL, what you can't challenge with replay. It's so crazy. And we, again, and this the game had that because it wasn't, you know, they had that 12 men on the field thing where they're like penalized. We can look at that. We can take five minutes to look and see if that guy was an inch away from the sideline and, and give that penalty, which could have been huge as well. But we can't go back and say, oh, my gosh, look at this interception. Never should have happened. And it turned the whole game around because it's pass interference, which is a much more you know, meaningful and impactful penalty. So that is, it is just absurd and it's so frustrating. <laughs> but what's the solution? I mean, do you want them to, do you want them to replay everything? No, 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 no. The last six hours. No, no, because you, you don't replay everything, but, but you can replay anything that, that you have one person monitoring because you have like 85 officials anyway, you have one person who's just the, the guy in the booth looking at replays and he just buzzes down and says, no, no, no. And I believe the, the sport you took exception to last week, uh, football, America's soccer is a, um, I think that's what they do, you know, and they, they uh, have a guy that's like, no, 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 you know, and it, and that can do so many things like the classic thing of where we never see the punch thrown, whatever the guy just says, I'm sorry, that guy just took a swing at him. And I saw it. And everyone in the world saw it except you know, and again, it's it. You can't feel. You know, the f- officials. There's only so many of them, and especially when you think of why pass interference is so tough, is because which of the five receivers are we all supposed to watch? You know, like how do you watch, like, every guy that closely? You don't have eleven officials looking at eleven men from you know both teams. You know, or twenty-two in that case. So what do you do? And I at least think just have something that that catches those things and again if it takes too long if you if in any sport you're looking at something two three minutes no then it it move on because if you have to look at it that long then it wasn't egregious you know if you have to do that forget it if and otherwise just move on and then i don't think replay has to take long you just buzz down when it's like you got it wrong boys you know let's rethink this okay so we just need a no 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 guy yeah okay Fair enough. Are we still on that point? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, one, uh, one other thing I want to say about that, that point. No, no, I, I'm sorry. I love uh, this. this I'm was, sorry. I, I'm I think sorry. we should audible the show because my, this show is anxious not, to get to his obit. No, exactly. To to his obit. This show is not called Two Points in a Funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it should be. <laughs> no, it that's not be. what it's called. Well, you don't know what I'm going to do. You guys, I might pivot. I might do the Tim baby switch. I might, should, show, I might show and go. You should pivot and talk about this game because there's like so much. No, this game. no we're not and talking about that forget, game. About the, I mean, you talk about the historical with that game. You know, significance of this game and those calls. Now Brady is even more of the champion and Aaron Rodgers becomes even more of the GOAT. And if you put Aaron Rodgers like, I played better than him. I got screwed by this and this and this. What the hell happened? You know, um, you know, we haven't even talked about the the terrible sequence of events uh, at the end of the first half where Brady should have had an interception before they had the touchdown to Miller, and he got lucky. So, so, but the one last thing I will say on this is about the four down things, and is 
good teams and good programs know when they're in four down territory. And they know like, look, boys, before I call the third down play, I know if I'm going forward on fourth down. And that is vital. And I think it might have saved the Packers in this game if if that coach had said, Aaron, you got four downs. Well, they always so, are supposed to no, do that. And Rodgers even no, said no, afterwards he thought they were they had four to play with. And no, that no, whole no, thing, no. that sequence, might lead to Aaron Rodgers asking his way out of Green Bay, forcing his way out, and could change the balance of power for the next three years. Be, just because they didn't communicate, you have four. So on third down, get as close as you can. Right, exactly. And and was and if he knows that if he knows like before and like we're not thinking field goal in any circumstance here. And that's so cute. If you're a coach football, like when you know you got four to make ten instead of three, that's huge. And sometimes it's like, Great, I hope my kicker sprains an ankle and I, I'm always have four. But but so if Rogers knew that and then it's on Rogers because if going back on those four plays, if he had run a couple of those plays when it looked like he was just chucking the ball and he had space. And it was funny because Aaron Rodgers, I don't think, ran for a single yard in that game, which is unusual, right? And if he had just run a little bit and and it would have made it easier to make a fourth and four, you know, a fourth and goal from the four decision or something like that, or even get closer before that. So that would be my final point. I just thought it was an amazing game for all these things. I do think that that that's the play that, that will haunt him. Is the is the third down play where, if indeed he thinks at that time, as he said, that he had four downs to score, I you know, it's we'll never know. And I think that's one of the fun parts about sports is we'll never know what you know how far he gets if he runs 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 off takes off and scrambles on that third down play. Uh, but it sure it sure as heck looked like he was going to get it inside the five and possibly even score, depending right. on how quickly the defense reacted. It was going to have to be one of those guys who was covering the guy who he eventually threw the ball to who was going to have to probably make that play, and we'll never know. But uh, I think that's the play that's going to haunt him. And I will say, Oscar, sorry, I got another point. In terms of – so I, I have to – this was so amazing, the, what was at stake in this game. In terms of legacy and having been there as a coach, like at a much smaller level, sometimes you owe it to your guy. You owe it to, like – Aaron Rodgers, you've been the face of this franchise for 15 years. I'm not kicking a field goal and putting on our defense. And we've talked about how defenses are so unlikely to stop people these days. But you know what? If we go down in flames because I gave you another down, I can live with myself. But if we go out there and we, you have to sit on the bench while other guys have it in play, you're Aaron Rodgers, you know, and you're the face of franchise. Well, that's to me, that's the – that's the Grady Little Pedro Martinez decision that of 03 that will go down and remains in history and and uh, well I mean we all we all knew Grady at least uh, well all of us knew Grady Little and, and he forever we we don't need to re- and we don't need to legislate we don't need to legislate that but he stuck with and he stuck with the man Pedro Martinez who am I gonna if am I gonna go down with the ship it's gonna be with Pedro or Alan Embry and he and you know I still say he made the right call even it's sometimes you make the right call. And it doesn't work out. But in this case, um, he had it backwards. All right. So uh, I'm going to have that was such a marathon. So that was a double segment for our listeners at home. The kind of the basic idea is three points, each of them roughly 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes. But that one was so rich and so remarkable that, uh, and Kimball had so much to say. And I do think he's done that I'm going to try to tighten it up a bit. But this is (laughs) good luck here. I have three points within one, three wrapped within one. Um, and it basically, it's, it'll, it'll be this. Think of this. 
Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Give me a second here. Give me a second. No, I'm going to tie it all together. I'm going to tie it all together. Every day. Tie it all together. Well, it is, has been amazing. But a couple things, a bits of news, and I'm going to tie it together because personal experience. We lost Larry King. Um, Larry King at 87, obviously a hugely significant person in the, in the media world. But listen, the thing that Larry King, obviously an unabashed sports fan, uh, right behind home plate, falling asleep uh, next to Mary Hart at all the Dodger games. That's how we remember him more recently. But in 1993, as a 25-year-old Cub reporter at, the, at Baseball America, I happened upon a very strange event at the AA All-Star Game where not just Bob Costas was in full Memphis Chicks uniform on a field uh, as a uh, honorary captain, but Larry King was in full uniform at in the full flight, full flower of his career on CNN. Larry King Live must uh, see viewing nightly, and so he was there. And there was a little luncheon, and then there was a little press gathering, and the TV people took that over. But I, at some point. I was able to elbow my way past UL Washington, who I think was a base coach <laughs> of Miss Chicks. And he had the toothpick, and I got to and I got to Larry one on one. I'm 25, and I and I asked Larry. I said, Larry, I introduced myself, and he he was he was uh, kind, and and I'm only bring, I would bring it up either way, but he was kind, and and I th- I threw a question at him that this is important because I said I have a question uh, of all the people you've interviewed over the years, you pretty much interviewed everybody. What would be your all-star team, your position by position all-star team of baseball players you've interviewed? I work for baseball America. And, and he said, Oh, that's a good question. And that always stuck with me because it was the last time I asked a good question, but uh, it, it was, no, it was nice. It was a nice exchange. And I followed up and asked him, well, who's the two or three people? Who's the one interview you, you've not had that you would love to get. And there was a sore spot there that we had to dance around. And that was, you know, he'd, continued to always claim that he grew up with Sandy Koufax, but that was not really true. He grew up near Sandy Koufax, but they not, not like they were pals or anything. He didn't grow up with him, and Koufax even debunked that once in a Washington Post feature on Larry. Uh, so that's 1993. Um, 1985, November, I, and I believe uh, both of you may have been at this, at Carmichael Auditorium, I was able to ask my first ever question of Dean Smith. And I walked up to Dean Smith as a cub reporter at the Daily Tar Heel. Um, and uh, it was after his press gathering, the, the first press conference of the season, the 85-86 season. And I asked a question, something about uh, where the scoring would come from or whatever. After there's losses, they lost significant people every year, all Americans. And he kindly answered. He began answering. And he's about 20 seconds into it. And uh, in classic uh, Dean form, he goes, um, you must be from the Tar Heel. And, and, and I said, well, yes, I am. And he goes, you might want to write some of this down. And I, <laughs> I was just basically in uh, just in the presence of the great man. And uh, and that was a good point. I, it would be a good idea if I wrote it down. Now, we flash forward to today and this weekend. And Mike Krzyzewski, who we've discussed on this program, and in general terms we approve of um, and admire. What? Well, Mike Krzyzewski uh, is being destroyed Maybe not destroyed, but being lit up in social media for the way he responded to young Jake Piazza's question. I guess that's how ding. ding. Jake Piazza has since received a, 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 a phone call from Coach K apologizing for basically asking him to empathize with the way uh, they his, he and his team might feel after a tough loss. And I'm trying to compare it to an econ test that, uh, that might have gone, uh, it might have been difficult. So, 
I'm a, I guess the, the point being, um, I, and I'm not here to crush Coach K on this at all. I, I actually um, couldn't believe the outrage over it. I think the fact that it was Zoomable and, and everyone could share it so quickly. And, of course, in general terms, people like to pound on the uh, the person at the top. And there are plenty of times where Coach K is, is uh, sanctimonious or, or uh, short with the media, uh, whether they're young or not. But I don't think it matters that Jake Piazza was asking his first ever question, as I was to – Dean Smith way back when, or to Larry King or whatever. I, it was, was it a fair question or not? How, how was the response? And from that, we'll have a, he's already increasing his followers. It'll work out just fine for him. He's not crushed. But um, I, was, I think we've gotten too soft. I mean, I realize that we're in an era where the media gets uh, obliterated and people are critical of the media and fake news and this and that. But this wasn't one of those moments. This was actually a, a, a good exchange. The problem is it's very difficult to have that uh, via Zoom or Cisco WebEx or whatever. It's very difficult to have it with a disembodied voice where you're not physically in their presence. So we've all been through it, but um, the I'm not going to ask you guys to weigh in on Larry King. I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on Dean Smith necessarily, but um, do, you think, uh, do you think we need to have different rules for the younger reporter? Should they be treated different? Or is a fair question a fair question? And, and if it's an unfair question, they should be called out on that. It's, isn't it all just human interaction? I, I'm a, after watching the exchange, I, I, I have to admit that I think I, I, it made me wonder whether whether Coach K would have would have uh, given that same response to a to a a veteran reporter that he dealt with on a regular basis. I, I can't believe he would have because it, it was sort of a mentor talking to a pupil kind of kind of setup. And you can judge for yourself whether you think it was whether whether it was uh, unfair on the part of, of Coach K to do that. I, 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 you know, I guess I was expecting it, you know, having heard about it first and then watched it. Um, I was expecting it to be more more clear in my mind that that he had lit up this reporter. I mean, there's certainly, as you as you mentioned, um, Coach K has a has a, a little bit of a history of, uh, of of having some altercations with with uh, student reporters, particularly at the Duke Chronicle. Um, so this was not the first time this has happened, and I think people maybe tried to lump that in with that with that more infamous moment that occurred. Years ago, I think it was when the Chronicle tried to tried to grade his players, and he didn't really appreciate that. Um, so I don't I don't think this was anywhere near that in terms. Of, that one was pretty clear that he had I thought mm-hmm. taken a misstep. I, I hope he would would agree. But uh, this one I don't think was nearly as clear. I think it was you know it's always a case when you talk to a coach a few minutes after a a, a gutting loss. You know they're always going to be on edge and. I think he was on edge, and I think he, you know, maybe pushed it a little further than, than was comfortable. Certainly for those of us watching it, but uh, I don't compare it in any way to, uh, to the previous incident. Yeah, I, as someone would love, you know, to see bad moments from Coach K. When I saw that on the internet and then clicked on it, I was like, no, I'm, I'm with Coach K. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I thought, and you know, going to your point, Mike, about like different rules. Well that's how we learn <laughs> i remember going back to my first days really as a journalist and i i think my first couple of press conferences going to um mike coach crumb um, at north carolina <laughs> danny crumb, crumb. Yeah. 50 cents of that by a cup dick, of coffee dick 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 
Not to any dick. Dick, I said. So anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to say that over and over. Anyway, he, uh, he, um, I got him. I got him once, and I, I said, I asked a couple of questions because I thought, like, I was like, you think when you're a young journalist, like you, you have all the answers, and you, you can really ask all the great questions. And I got him, and and I, I, I won't go into specifics. I don't know if I can remember, but you know, the, a local columnist, Keith Drumding, um, you know, wrote about it, and and sort of, I, I got all big in my britches and was excited that like he sort of referenced my question to Coach Crum. Well, the next week, Coach Crum kind of undressed me because I was trying to like be big and whatever. And he sort of like took me to task and it was like, okay. And you get humbled and you learn your lesson and you realize, yeah, these are people and, um, and you know, have some respect for their job just as they're having respect for yours, hopefully. I don't know. I, I, I disagree that, that this, that this kid need, needed to learn a lesson based on his, on his question. There was, his it was not a very good question. No, you're right. You're right. But it was. But there was nothing wrong with the question. I mean, it, it is. It is no no better or worse than than the a lot of the other inane questions that get asked by veteran reporters every True. day. I mean, True. that's a pet peeve of mine that I I could go on for hours about. But but yeah, I mean, it was not. You know, it was a, as innocuous a question as you could possibly ask. And and Coach K just for whatever reason it set it it set off something inside him that. Uh, he felt like it was time to to be a mentor, and I. I but I, I don't blame I don't blame the the reporter in any way. I think he was just trying to figure out something that he could ask that wouldn't that wouldn't cause a problem, and it still caused a problem. Right. It was more about five and five being mm -hmm. Duke's record, but also, but I. But again, I do think it was kind of a, Coach K was making a good point that I've often that I've made myself. You know, like wow, if, if writers right after we wrote the story, if someone walked into our shower and said, "Talk to me about that story." That you just mm -hmm. wrote like what yeah. you know mm -hmm. and and we don't get carte blanche right and the truth is there you know there are very few questions you could ask coach k in that situation that he would embrace <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 enjoy answering so you know it's just it's a question after a loss that's the problem and there's nothing there's there's no real safe question in that in that case so you know the, the guy tried to do what he what what you would normally try to do as a student journalist in that situation and just try to get something and he ended up getting a lesson and as for larry king mike i'm a little disappointed because i thought for sure you were going <laughs> to use this time to go back to spring training whatever that's year right, it was whatever, right. when we would drive around together the three of us and, <laughs> and we would read usa today out loud and do dramatic readings of what was it? Dot, King, dot, dot. King sings in USA Today, <laughs> page two. It was wonderful, and and that was that was right around that time. It was, I believe, uh, that was 1992 spring training when I was with Worldwide Baseball, uh, the imaginary publication. But um, <laughs> uh, and, and and I'll tell a story in some other time uh, about signing a child's baseball as Tim Belcher. That's still one of the low points. That we had to do it to get out of the parking lot. So uh, we also are on a fairly tight schedule here, but uh, you guys, you guys put me up to it. Oh, let's just remind everyone as we do at this stage in the show uh, each time that we have a Facebook page that you uh, we encourage you to like, and uh, we'll post this every time it's ready to go. Three point range. We have a Substack where you can get an updated newsletter every time there's fresh content, whether it's a, a photo of young Tim Crothers with Hank Aaron or Kimball uh, 
ranting much as he did uh, for that uh, opening segment, or perhaps me. And um, that's Substack.com. And of course, you can find this podcast at Anchor.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of your finer podcast outlets. And we finish up with Tim Crothers. I, I got to stop going last because you guys, I mean, how much time could we possibly have left? Give me, give me. About, about 250. No, I think you can go a good eight. Give, me, give us eight good minutes. All right. Eight good uh, minutes. I, I've learned my lesson. No more going last. Um, all right. Well, I've been watching college basketball for 50 years now. And for 50 years, I've been wondering about the wisdom of subbing out a starter when he picks up two fouls in the first half. So it took me five decades, but I finally decided to consult an expert. And of course, our friend Ken, Ken Palm has run some of the numbers on all of this. Ken Palm calls it the two-foul participation, and it boils down to how much a coach plays a starter after that player has picked up his second foul in the first half. So here's an example. If a guy player gets his second foul, say, with 10 minutes left in the half, and he plays one more minute in the first half, that's 10%. So... I'll, boys, I'll let you play the game if you don't. If you promise not to talk for too long, what percentage of the rest of the first half do you think the average college basketball player starter plays after he's picked up his second foul? Three percent. Three percent. Three. I'll say ten. It's actually about twenty percent. Oh. Um, but but for most coaches, or for a lot of coaches, it's zero percent, as you know. Um, but there are enough coaches that, that uh, are throwing their players out there for a bit more time that it's brought the number up to about 20%, although that number from my crack research staff tells me is, is dropping steadily in recent seasons. Now, more research suggests that the coaches are actually becoming more and more conservative about this, playing starters in this situation, even though overall fouls generally are trending downward. Coaches tend to do what coaches have always done, as we know, at least in part due to avoid being second-guessed. So if a player gets two fouls in the first four minutes of a game and he's taken out for the next 16 minutes, minutes, is that really a sound strategy? I mean, you're not likely to lose that player for 16 minutes if he keeps playing, and even if he does, even if he does eventually foul out. So these days, players don't actually foul out that often, and there are plenty of instances where a player sits for 10 minutes in the first half with two fouls, and then he never gets his third, fourth, or fifth foul in the second half. So if you take that guy out, isn't that just guaranteeing time off the court instead of a situation where he might miss time? I mean, isn't a coach just voluntarily self-imposing the very penalty that he's trying to avoid? It's like a like that player um, fouled out in the first half, basically. So sure, there's a, there's, there's a risk to playing him, but isn't it a risk also not to play him and watch the game slowly slip away? And why isn't it okay to play a guy with a minute left in the first half? Not okay. Two fouls, can't play him. But it's okay to start him in the second half, which is just a minute of gameplay later. I'm not really sure exactly where the logic in that is. So as a coach, I'd be tempted to play my best players as much as possible with the necessary rest, of course, um, regardless of how many fouls they have until when and if they actually foul out of the game. That way, I'm guaranteed to maximize their time on the court. Now, I know the argument is that you may not have your best players available in the final minutes, but don't you give yourself a better chance to win if your best players play the most possible minutes? And if they play maximum minutes, maybe you don't even need them in the final minutes. Maybe they've already won the game. So I, I have to 
I have to uh, bow to someone who actually has coached real games in his in his career. Coach Crosley, what's your take on this? Absolutely agree with you, and I've argued about this and lived it for years, and it's 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 crazy to me. Um, and it's funny to me because I love when announcers say things like, oh, he got his second foul. You have to take him out. Now he has to take him out. And I always wonder if like some naive sports was like, what, they have to, is there a penalty box? Do they have to stay yeah. for like a certain time? It's like, you don't have to do anything. And it's like, so I've always believed, especially when you talk about high school basketball and lower levels, that, you know, everyone thinks, and it's true that so many NBA games come down in the final minutes and other things like that. Um, but but in, in most sports, there's no time like the present. The, the most important minute of the game is the next one because you never know when that 8-0 run could happen and that 10-0 run can happen. So when I've coached, I have I have basically done what you said. Like I've just like, you know, there, there is a minor benefit, one might argue, to getting the kids' attention and saying, you realize that was your third, right? And you're hacking a lot. And, and sometimes, you know, you have to take them out to do that for a second. But I agree, you're just hurting yourself if you impose the penalty yourself because each minute is important um, and the game can slip away at any time. And so I, I try and I don't even like so many coaches are obsessed with foul trouble. I don't really even think about it too much. I just think like, well, if he fouls out, he fouls out it's now or never. And the last thing I'll say is, yeah, I've watched it so many times. This crazy idea of if, if he picks up his third with a minute and 20 to go in the first half. That's like, what's going to happen? I always think we're going to get a locker room and say like, well, it's over now. It's over now. We should have saved him for the second half. So kudos. Yes, I'm on it. What did uh, Ken Palms, did he have any aspect to that on the on leaving the guy in with his fourth foul in the second half? I mean, not taking him out at all? Because I mean, some people will do that. Al McGuire, uh, the late Al McGuire always said, you know, once they get the fourth foul, just leave them in. I mean, there's no point to saving them for that very spe specific time. He did not. There was no research in Ken Palm that I saw about that, but I, I would argue the same thing. I would argue, leave him out there. You, you know, if it lets he gets his fourth foul with eight minutes to go and he doesn't play from the eight minute mark to the three minute mark, the game easily could be lost during that time. By the time you get him back in there, it's too late. Um, you know, and there's a there's a reasonable chance that if he plays smart, he's going to make it through the last eight minutes without fouling out. Why yeah, would you do that? And the funny thing at the higher levels, like big time college or pros, it's almost like uh, you, you want him playing with just one foul to go because that's when the refs give him benefit of the doubt. No <laughs> doubt. And almost like you say, I'm not taking him out, but I'm going to put up a big sign that alerts everyone in the arena, especially the refs. That's his fourth in college, or that's his fifth in the NBA. So, so let, let's make the last one a good one, boys. <laughs> there is no doubt that the refs know that that, that guy's, if it's, especially if he's a star, he's going to have to draw blood to get that fifth foul. <laughs> and and not no just doubt. that, but we've seen plenty of times where the that throws the the uh, the other team off its offensive rhythm because they start going at that guy, especially as more important he is. Um, they'll mm -hmm. actually just drive right into him. We've seen it plenty of times, and and suddenly it's not run your offense, it's get this guy out, and for all those factors, it can it can backfire against them. I will say one other thing, Pop. Do you guys remember um, Larry Mishaw is how uh, I remember his name. <laughs> Houston. Larry Mishaw uh, playing for the Price Lama Jamma, and Guy V. Lewis was not uh, exactly uh, a, uh, a sideline uh, genius, but a great recruiter and, uh, and had the towel. 
And I remember, I believe it was in that great game against uh, Louisville, the uh, high-flying dunk fest uh, against Louisville right before NC State upset Houston in 83. And Larry Misha got his third foul, and Billy Packer saying, got to get a second foul, got to get him out, got to get him out. Seconds later, foul number three, got to get him out. It's the first half, and he got four fouls. I remember as a, I'm pre- almost certain it was in that game. Guy Lewis let him get his fourth foul in the first half. They still won the game, as I recall. Maybe bastardized <laughs> that, that That may be true. I have to admit that I think that I, I think there's an, another example of that in, in the very next game. If 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 you, I don't know if you're right or wrong, but yeah, uh, I might be. Clyde, I might be Clyde, Clyde Drexler, Clyde Clyde Drexler against NC State in the final. I believe got four fouls. In Did the first he? Half. So his I might fourth, see the time of missed. Fourth time. was a was a was a charge on Terry Gannon. Ding. I just <laughs> yeah. watched the thirty for thirty the other night, so I know. Okay, that was that okay. That, well, I'm pretty perhaps. sure that's true. And, and well, then that probably uh, I may have to back down on that one. I'll stand down if that's the case. Yeah, but I definitely recall Houston Guy Lewis, very important player. Um, and I and I may be saying Misha because in looking him up, he's he's like still their all time leader in fouls. And he was an important enforcer kind of guy, but probably probably right, especially if you just saw the thirty for thirty. Thank goodness for that. Um, so anything else to add on that? I think we uh, that's a good point. It's it's um, I do think though I will back out to one other thing to say. Context, as always, I'm going to give myself the wiggle room of context on that before I fully agree. Does that team have depth? Is the person who's coming in for that guy um, nearly as good? Um, you know, if it's a star, that's a different deal. How, how is my team in the zone? Can I hide that guy in the zone? How close does that person play to the basket in the zone? I mean, it's a little easier to get away with the guy who can't touch anybody if he's out on the perimeter, et cetera, et cetera. So, but uh, but a valid point, and that's all we bring up here, except for me, is valid points. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if your depth point makes a lot of sense either, because if your depth sucks and you take your guy out and well, put in your bad depth, well, that's part of worse. it. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying if if uh, if he's not a star, and you're saying, well, two fouls, just leave him in. Well, it, those there might be uh, in 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 house. Uh, consideration of the, whether to start the other guy anyway. So maybe they're not that. So th- what is the separation of, of perceived value between the guy with the second foul and the guy who'd be substituting? You can't uh, pontificate on this you know, without getting really granular, I think. But, on, you know, if you're going to get on balance, we I think too many times, in general in sports, if you manage or coach to avoid the post-game question, the tough question, you will fail as a manager or coach. You, you, have, to, you have to be able to... Uh, rise above that and do what you think is best and, and sometimes be counter counterintuitive. But um, that's it. That's uh, number 15. It's in the books. And uh, we thank you as always for listening, uh, for supporting us, spread the word. Uh, let us let people know if, uh, if they like to hear three old friends talking about sports in ways that uh, are not uh, formulaic and maybe in ways that they've never heard them discussed or hear stories that are very, personal and in here ding after that story is told. <laughs>